This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. It's the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Ben Anderson, host of Gunther and Ben here every weekday, 2 to 6, joins me as always here on the Salt City Hoops show, our first since the playoffs uh, for the Utah Jazz, I should say the Jazz exiting the playoffs. Obviously, the NBA playoffs continuing uh, even as we speak. Currently, the Milwaukee Bucks and Boston Celtics tied at 53. Just about 30 seconds left to go in that in the first half of that game. Um, but we're excited to talk about not only the, the NBA playoffs, but the Utah Jazz season as a whole with you uh, here on a, a cloudy Tuesday in in Salt Lake City, Ben, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Andrew? Oh, I, I'm I'm happy. I'm uh, you know home a little bit sooner than I thought I would be, but uh, it's been it's been lovely. I'll call you Andrew because you turned into a, a mature performance today, like uh, like James, like James Butler and Jimmy. Ah, Butler. yes, yes, yes. Uh, my, my name is really Andrew, though, unlike yeah. Jimmy Jimmy Butler, who is uh, Jimmy, just plain old Jimmy. In case you guys missed it, it's uh, <laughs> Brett Brown, Philly coach. Called him James Butler after last night's performance, leading the Sixers to uh, a game two win. Jimmy then said, "My name's not James." That's the type of thing it's that is going to make Jimmy. Jimmy Butler leave Philadelphia. Like he seems like a very easy to disrespect person, and is the type of person who feels like once he's been disrespected, he's got to get out of town. Yeah, um, but you know that's been Jimmy Butler everywhere he's been, right? So maybe maybe that's not a huge surprise. Uh, anyway, we. Uh, <laughs> We want to, as always, take your questions on the show. Uh, you can tweet me at Andy B. Larson. You can text Ben at Ben's Hoops. I guess tweet at us, not text us. You can text our, our text line, the Mercedes-Benz of Farmington text line, 877-353-0700. You can also call us at that number if you'd like to get your voice in on the show. Again, that number is 877-353-0700. We have plenty to talk about, uh, not only the playoffs, but what happened in this jazz season. And, of course, we want to answer your questions, which I suspect, given what you guys care about, it's probably going to be some off-season questions. Yep. What are the jazz going to be doing in free agency, trades, draft? What are their possibilities? How likely is it that they'll get that that big star coming into Utah? We'll talk about some of those possibilities. Uh, I didn't think we learned a ton about the jazz in locker room cleanout last week. Because I think the problems the Jazz had against Houston were the same problems they had last year against Houston. And Dennis Lindsay didn't fight that. I, you know, Dennis Lindsay didn't try and spin it or blame it on Dante Exum or say that anybody was unhealthy. He just kind of said, yeah, we just ran into a good team and congratulations to Houston. And some of the things that we need to do, we didn't do. Yeah, and, and I, I thought he was pretty noncommittal in that pre, in that press conference, which he, he pretty typically is. You know, right. I don't think you necessarily want to reveal everything that you want to do in an offseason to the media on on the first day of the offseason. But, um, you know, he, he spoke about the, the need to at least evaluate getting, as he put it, a sniper at every position, someone who can score the ball. At the very least, he said um, at any position. At any position, yeah. excuse me. Which yeah. I do think matters. I think that's a difference. Every position versus yes, any position. Agreed. Yeah, because, I mean, quite frankly, you have your center in uh, Rudy Gobert, who's who's not going to be a sniper. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's uh, clearly some some shooting improvements that Jazz need. I'd also say that the Jazz clearly need a, a secondary playmaker to uh, get the, some pressure off of Donovan Mitchell. Now, Dennis Lindsay didn't say that much, but he did say that they needed someone who could handle the ball and create without making turnovers, which yeah. I think uh, is 
it's kind of the same thing, honestly. You know, if, if right. you're able to create plays for others without turning the ball over, it's pretty likely that you are a, a good playmaker. Do <laughs> uh, you think we've seen the end of Ricky Rubio in Utah? I do. I kind of think so, too. Um, and, and I honestly, I think the the... That has been the writing's been on the wall for that since the trade deadline. At least the trade deadline, maybe a little bit before. Yeah, um, when the team was kind of floundering and clearly needed uh, again someone next to Donovan Mitchell that had some scoring capability. And the history of Ricky Rubio was he was a guy that Gordon Hayward wanted to play with, right? And so it's not like this was some long sought after player from Quinn Snyder or from Dennis Lindsay. I, I may disagree with you there because do you remember when Dennis said that you know? Ricky was one of the the top five guys that they had been looking at for a long time. That kind of Quinn Snyder came in and was like, "Hey, this is maybe a point guard I could work with." Sure, and they compared him to Jason Kidd and lied yeah. about that, and that was an issue. I don't want to say they lied, but they said that. And there's very little about Ricky Rubio other than kind of the style of play, which is a defensive point guard who doesn't shoot, that says Jason Kidd. Right. And I, I get why they said it. I, I know that they came out and talked about it. I think once. Gordon Hayward left, and they realized we're rebuilding this team, and we don't know what Donovan Mitchell is. Once Donovan came in and was this different type of player, you got to get a different backcourt made for him. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think I, I don't think the rookie trade was like a failure by any means. You know, I think it was it was a you know bottom ish draft pick that yep. you know I, I guess you could have had Josh Okoji. That's who the pick ended up being. We'll see if he becomes um, a player, he might not. You know, yeah. Uh, but I think you know having Ricky Rubio last year obviously had some stellar moments and. In the playoffs, had some stellar moments in the second half of, of last year. And to be frank, was not at all the problem against the Houston Rockets. No. You know, I, I thought as much as, uh, as as much as the Jazz couldn't shoot and Ricky was one of those players, neither could 11 other players on the roster, you know? Yep. so And at least Ricky brought, I, I thought, was, was pretty solid defense and, and some rebounding, some toughness, some some playmaking of his own to, to complement what the Jazz needed, it's just it, it clearly wasn't enough for the whole regular season and, and, and in the five games as well. Yeah, kind of ironically, the best we ever saw of Ricky Rubio was in the playoffs with the Jazz. You know, his second yeah. half of the season last year was good. He was pretty good to very good at times against Oklahoma City last year. Didn't play against Houston. And then this year actually played pretty well against Houston. I thought, you know, he was dialed in. Too many turnovers in a couple of the games, but that was an issue for the Jazz everywhere because the offense was just awful in the postseason. But the best way to beat Houston in the first round is to not play him. Right. And you not you don't play him by winning three or four more games, and I think the Jazz feel like they can get three or four more wins with a different point guard. Now, the truth is it doesn't matter when you play Houston, right? Like, you can lose to him in the first round, you can lose to him in the second round, you can lose to him in the third round. The The, the Jazz's goal is not to lose to Houston in a, in a later round. The goal is to beat Houston and right. to beat Golden State and right. to be one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Um, and, and to me, that's where I think you can say that the season, while good, and, and honestly, I think you can make a statistical case that they probably deserve more wins than 50, given their point differential and some of those things, um, that they still clearly were a, a beat or two or three below the, the yep. best of the West and the best teams in the league, quite frankly. You know, I think you can... There's no way that they are as good as this Milwaukee team no. or this Toronto team. And They're in the conversation with Portland and Denver. Yeah. But those two teams with what wackiness happened on the last week of the season, designed themselves to still be in this conversation, even though I don't think anyone thinks they're on par with any of the other six teams that are still left in the NBA. Right. Yeah, and so it really is about, to me, I I think rather than you know kind of taking small steps, and I do think that the Jazz took a small step uh, this year, I think it's time to take a, a larger stride. And I, I think that's a few steps, if you will. I don't care how many steps you, you take. Just, right. You just have to get significantly better than what you are right now. And 
and, and I think some of that may involve risk. And, and I'm kind of curious to see whether the Jazz want to take on that risk or if they kind of go with, again, kind of the, the, the safe moves. And, and I'm, not, I'm not hating on safe moves. I think safe moves and are very often kind of the right thing to do. But I think there are ways you can introduce some risk um, in ways that won't kill your franchise. And also, risky moves aren't terrible. I get it. There's always logic to not making a risky move because if it w- if there wasn't logic to it, it wouldn't be risky, right? Inherently, but you know, it was probably a little gutsy to trade Jeff Malone for Jeff Hornacek at the time, and then the Jazz did it. It was probably gutsy to give Mehmet Okur ten million dollars on his asking sheet above what anyone else did, or try and get Carlos Boozer, whatever backhanded role the Jazz played in that conversation. It was probably pretty risky. Heck, giving, I think, Joe Johnson $20 million was risky. And, in fact, the Jazz found the downside of that risk in the second year where they had to waive him. But, nevertheless, there was enough upside there that it made a difference in a playoff series. Yeah, he won you a playoff series. So it was absolutely worth the risk there. So risk pays off, and I think the Jazz are well-informed enough that when they make risky moves, it's a good gamble. Yeah, It's generally a pretty good bet. Dante Exum's a risky move that didn't pay off. Didn't pay off. Uh, we did get a text, 877-353-0700, from 0913 on the text line. Hey, guys, what kind of offer sheet would it take to pry Brogdon away from Milwaukee? That's, of course, Malcolm Brogdon, who's not playing yet in the series, might be available for Game 3. He's going to be reevaluated after tonight because he uh, broke his foot. Right. Uh, or he's got foot tendonitis or something. And, and so that's really an interesting question. You know, I, I think— I, you have to you have to pay him enough that Milwaukee looks at the prospect of paying him in the luxury tax, maybe with some of their other guys, and uh, decide not to. And really, quite frankly, to me, maybe that decision is not. Maybe there isn't a dollar value where they think Malcolm Brogdon's being paid too much. Maybe it's a case of we'd rather keep Brogdon even at a near max salary yeah. versus, uh, and we're happy to lose Nico Miritich and or Chris Middleton or something sure. like that. I think they can keep two of those two of the, those three. Yep. I don't think they can keep all three. Um, and, and so, if you do want to get a Brogdon, plus Brook Lopez, right? Brook Lopez is he a free agent this offseason? He is a free agent. They don't have the bird rights though. Right. So, it, getting him, keeping him is kind of complicated, no matter what you do. Because that's a good thing, I think, for the Jazz if you're a Malcolm Brogdon fan, because they have to have shooting around Giannis. Right. You have to have a big guy who can spread the floor. Ersan Ilyasova is basically unplayable defensively. He's so bad at times. He, you may have to keep Miritich around to keep that extra shooter around. Yeah, or, or you've got to figure out someone else to play that role. Right? Yeah. And so I, I don't know how that happened. You know, probably you can't sign that guy in free agency. So, yeah, I think Nico makes some sense. And maybe that's why they were so willing to give up those four second-round picks for Nico. Maybe not so much for this year, but for next, knowing that they would lose Brook Lopez. Now, this series and, and these playoffs are maybe a, a trial run for them and, and yep. Miritich and whether or not he can be that guy. Um, certainly has been less effective than Brook Lopez so far, uh, but we'll, we'll we'll see. You know, I, I think ultimately Brogdon's status, like I like I said, depends on those other two guys. I do think in order for them to uh, say no, you have to make it an above average. I'm thinking like eighteen to twenty two million for uh, Brogdon. For Brogdon, and I bet it's closer to twenty five. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think you really are getting close to the max conversation for him. Now, here's also the advantage for the Jazz. If you want to do that and you just want to say, well, we're going to give him a max contract. We think he's worth it. Even if it's not four years, maybe you give him two years and $50 million. The nice thing is he's an unrest- or he was a second-round draft pick, so he has not had much money that he's made in his career. Right. So he might be in that Wes Matthews or Paul Millsap situation, which the Jazz have run up against, which is he wants as much money as he can to guarantee. And he's not young. Right. He's like 27 years old, I think, now, because he played four years at Virginia. Yep. He's a little bit older. 
He probably wants that money now. Twenty six and a half. Twenty six and a half. So he'll be twenty seven by the time the season starts next year. Or, you know, close to mm-hmm. that. He's probably going to want as much money as he can now. Maybe that's four years and thirty million dollars, or or I should say four years and a hundred million dollars. But I guess the issue with that potentially is that then he's thirty one signing his next contract. He may want to strategically have his next contract come up when he's twenty eight or twenty nine. Mm-hmm. And then sign a four-year deal then, and that way he can max it. Because I don't know if he's getting another max deal when he's 31, but he probably does get another max deal when he's 29. And I guess, it, you know, to some degree it depends on what you think he can continue to develop. You know, I think yep. you you say that he's he's gotten two and a half points better every year, and he's taken on more and more usage, and uh, he's become a, a bigger and bigger part of what Milwaukee's doing offensively. Maybe that can continue, and, and it's just kind of whether or not he wants to bet on himself. I would say... 80% of NBA players in that situation, they just take the money. They take the long-term yep. four years, you know, 80 to $100 million deal. Um, we've seen a few guys, though, with kind of that that kind of profile, like a Paul Millsap, take fewer years in order to maybe sign more contracts down the road. Yep. Um, and, and I, you know, again, I think you have to lean on the side that Brogdon's like everybody else. Um, wants safety. Wants safety. Yeah. I think... Agents generally point players in that direction. Remember, Paul Millsap has kind yep. of a unique agency situation with his uncle his being uncle. his agent. He's got a bad um, agency situation because his uncle's his agent. But he's actually done well. He's, he's done yeah. really well. He's made a bunch of money in his career. Yeah, I, I can't hate. Um, generally, so, that's a bad design. <laughs> Sometimes it's a great design. Yes. Um, so, hey, you know, I, I, I just think that, that I think that's a good option. I think in order for it to happen for the Utah Jazz, though, they probably have to lose Derek Favors yep. in order to uh, be able to sign him to a big enough offer sheet. I mean, you're talking without Ricky Rubio, the Jazz have about $13, $13.5 million of cap space. Uh, and then you can get it up to like sixteen, seventeen. dollars uh, if you lose Kyle Korver, if you lose Howell Neto. Um, what's what's is it a team option for Hal Neto? Yeah, it is a pure team option. It, it, so it's it's a it's like favors deal. It's non guaranteed. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know you you can make a little bit of space that way if you you know want to trade someone to make up more space. Maybe you can do it, but realistically, you have to make a lot of moves in order to give Brogdon kind of that offer sheet that would make Milwaukee cringe. But you know that's again that's that's where the Jazz are. How yeah, many, and- how many big men to block shots do you want that can't shoot threes? I mean, that, that's a real question. It's not a bad question. Right. Having Derek Favors as an option for your team next year that's in your control is not a bad thing. But if you want to get better, $13 million on a free agent probably doesn't quite get you there unless it's the perfect point guard who comes in for that money. And it's not an all-star. And I don't know that that guy exists. I agree. So you may have to make that tough decision of saying, we love you, Derek. You've done great for us. We would have ideally been able to keep you around and add Malcolm Brogdon. But at this point of where we are, with how much better Donovan Mitchell is than you are, we think we need to pair with him better than what we're trying to do with Derek Favors. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'd be curious, too, to see what would happen with Derek Favors if he were waived that way, you know, yeah. where he would end up, how much money he would be getting. I think it would be less than $18 million. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, one reason why, maybe the biggest reason why Derek Favors said in, in the press conference that I need my team option picked up. Is, yeah. is I think he would like to stay here in Utah. Yep. I think he would also like to make seventeen, eighteen million dollars next yeah. year. But he'd get he'd get offer sheets. He'd be good somewhere. Oh no, he would no help doubt. A lot of like teams. he would help a lot of teams and I think I think there'd be I think he'd find a good situation and I think he's he's a very, very good player. Um, you know, it's it's the same conversation that we've been having uh for a long time is whether or not that's the the best use of that money, given that he's only going to be playing 24 to 28 minutes a night. And he's essentially a backup center. And the Jazz have defaulted to that every year in the playoffs when he's been on the team. 
whether it was Joe Johnson or when Rudy Gobert went down and he had to step up. And then he was a starting center at that point. I get that. But even in this series, the Jazz went with Jay Crowder over the games three and four. So Look, Fave played Fave's played 23 minutes a game this year in the regular season. And and that's great. And he had, I thought, what his best per minute season of his career. I he mean, was he was healthy. fantastic he on great. the boards. He was great finishing at the around the rim. I think he had his best rim protection season of his career. I mean, he was incredible. And yet you're still paying the guy $18 million to play 23 minutes a night. Right. Um, and I don't think that Quinn's going to him, play him any more than that. Um, and then you look at the playoff numbers, and he played only 20 minutes a night. So, you know, and again, played well in the playoffs, was one of the Jazz's best players in the playoffs, and yet still couldn't stay on the floor um, at the end of games other than game four, where, you know, again, he may, he may, have, won, may have won you that playoff game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's the question the Jazz have been dealing with, and at this point they may be willing to pull the trigger. We'll see. Um, Dennis Lindsay was pretty gung-ho about keeping him. Um, I thought maybe more than he even had to be. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's just because he, you know, even if you do let Derek Favors go, even if it's even if it's a tough decision, you want to shout, you want to say good things about a guy, um, in no matter what the circumstances right. are. But um, I, I, you know, Dennis Lindsay has consistently said how talked about how Derek Favors is is not the problem, is part of the solution. How good those two bigs are playing together, um, and yet. They just don't play together very much. And at the same point, you could trade Derek Favors and that's $17 million and hope to get a piece back that's worth that much. And then also sign another player for 13 or $14 million. And maybe that's the solution the Jazz look at. Maybe right. it's not just wave Derek and sign a $30 million player. Maybe it's two fifteen to $17 million players that you're trying to get to. Yeah. And there's potential for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, we do have more Twitter questions for us, though. Um, we've got this one from Ali Kiabanchian. There we go. Nailed it. Uh, thank you. If Anthony Davis still wants to leave, do you think Griffin, David Griffin, their new general manager, will also make Drew Holiday available? And would an unprotected and lottery-protected plus favors and Cephalosha expirings get it done? Uh, I think it would push the Jazz into fringe title contention. He'd be worth it too first. So a couple of things. One, Derek Favors is worth $0 on his uh, contract for next year in a trade. So to the incoming team, he counts as $16.9 million dollars. To the outgoing team, he's worth zero dollars, so he doesn't mean anything in for terms the of jazz. in terms of the salary matching that the jazz for are the jazz. Hmm. It's that's the rule because it's a non guaranteed. What about after the seventh? Uh, after the seventh, then he's worth seventeen. So you'd have to wait a week. So you you would either have to wait a week, or you can just take on Drew Holiday into your space. So you can waive Derek Favors essentially, have him not be part of this trade. Uh, and then you, you still need to figure out a way to kind of bridge the gap. Now, Drew Holiday's making uh, little enough that actually, how much is Drew making? Thirty million. Let's pull it up. Look that up for me. Um, but you still need to include a little bit. Cephalosha is just a free agent, so you cannot include him in any trade from now until July first, July seventh, anytime you want, because he's just a free agent. You can't trade him uh, straight up. So that doesn't work. Um, I do not think I do absolutely think Drew Holiday is is a very excellent player, and I think he makes a lot of sense for the Jazz. I think he is probably too good for the Jazz to be able to trade for twenty six million dollars a year. That's next year, the year after, and then he has a player option for the third year. Okay, so twenty six million does if you sending eighteen, uh, except again you you still need because that's he's zero dollars out. So after after the seventh of July, yeah, I guess he could be. The, the part of that. Derek um, Favors and... So Derek Favors... Dante Exum. Or, sure, yeah, that works. You can get there. Um, Joe Ingles, Dante Exum, and Grayson Allen. Sure. Yeah. Okay. 
By the way, that's not a great trade. No, <laughs> especially for a team that's trying to blow it up and get younger. Again, this is the problem with the this is the problem with the Memphis trade. And why uh, understanding you can go back and maybe revisit the Memphis trade is a Dante's worth less today than he was in February because right. he's had another major injury. You don't have a tradable contract in Ricky Rubio anymore, and then you have to wait until the seventh until Derek Favors becomes available, and then you're just trading an expiring. And Derek Favors is not the only seventeen million dollar expiring contract in the right. NBA. And and to a team that maybe wants to rebuild, like like Ali is suggesting, you want good young pieces and you want picks. And I think his idea of sending two first round picks uh, is good. I don't think you can lottery protect one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and have any interest in in New in New Orleans? I think you maybe even have to include more than two picks in order to make that work. I think Drew Holiday is that caliber of player. He's that young of a player. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but I, you know, given where the Jazz project to draft over the next four years, given that they have again Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, it seems very unlikely that the Pelicans—that's the best offer that the Pelicans could get, could get for Drew Holiday. I, I, I think that's kind of a, I think that's a pipe dream. And this is where George Hill and Ricky Rubio have come back to bite you. Ideally, you have Torian Prince and Josh Okoge and Grayson Allen on your roster, and those are young pieces you're trading to get some of these guys. Sure. So that's where it is hard at some point to trade first-round picks because people want young players. If they're rebuilding, they're trading a proven player for young pieces, they want a Torian Prince, they want a Josh Okoge, they want a Grayson Allen that can help them, and the Jazz only have one of those players and probably the worst of those three players. And, and that's where you, you kind of hope that the Jazz's relative playoff success, which I think you can argue that they wouldn't have had without George Hill or Ricky Rubio, um, you know, maybe not this year, maybe in the last two years, but you still have put yourself on a level where if, you know, I think without George Hill, for example, that team is a eight seed or out of the playoffs. Uh, you can now say that you're a three-year playoff team, that you clearly just need that next extra piece, uh, and you can sell one of the top or mid-level free agents on, on joining you where you don't have to trade any pieces for them, you can just get a, a free player, right? Right. Um, and, and that's that's kind of best-case scenario. Now, you then have to pay that player some money, and that's kind of what Dennis has balked at in the past. We'll, we'll see what he chooses to do. Should we take um, a break? We should take a break. We've got more of your questions coming in on Twitter. One from our friend, Giorgio Spinia, Some few more from Kenny. Uh, and, and coming up uh, and at Royals and Jazz, too, we've got a bunch of different questions. So that's all coming up next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with you. Uh, just to give you an update on this Celtics-Bucks game, the playoffs, uh, Bucks are up by 5, 74-69, 7.41 left to go in the third. It's Chris Middleton doing most of the work for the Milwaukee Bucks. He has 26 points on 9 of 14 shooting, including 7 of 9 from 3. Uh, he's been on fire from beyond the arc. Uh, the the Bucks changed up their starting lineup a little bit this uh, this game, going with Nico Miritich in the starting lineup. And while Nico has only uh, scored four points, has looked a little bit shaky on defense at times. Nico uh, has he has actually <laughs> been there uh, has their second best plus minus of oh, plus good. twelve. Oh good, I so like Nico. Take that. Uh, no, I'm pro Nico. I'm not Tony Jones. <laughs> bomb him for no reason. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, on the other side, the Boston Celtics, uh, Kyrie Irving struggling a little bit, only has nine points, four of 14 shooting. He began the game only zero of eight. So it's as bad uh, as it gets. That's that's bad. Next to zero of nine. That's it, it. Got better from him after that, though. <laughs> so we'll see uh, that game on TNT. So, um, 
want to, again, getting to your questions about the Utah Jazz and the NBA, this offseason coming up, obviously you guys are very curious. I think this is a, a big offseason for you, the Utah Jazz. Tony said it was the biggest, speaking of our friend Tony Jones. Mm. I think that there was this really big offseason a couple of years ago where Gordon Hayward left, and I think uh, that was a bigger deal. Um, I'd also point towards the time where the Jazz had Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap leave in free agency yeah. as maybe a bigger uh, offseason in terms of deciding the, the franchise's direction. But, you can ask us questions online yes, by tweeting can. at us, <laughs> at Andy B. Larson, and at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. You can also text or call using the same phone number. That number is 877 353-0700. Yes. Uh, Adam Rylewski asks, if the Jazz were to land a top-tier free agent, which would require us to move on from favors, how comfortable do you think the Jazz are with running Epe and Tony Bradley as their second and third centers? Okay, so I tweeted this out, and then I had my question about it. What does the market look like for Epe Udo this offseason? I don't think it's big. I, I don't think it's big. I think it's exactly kind of it's a two-year, $4 million deal. I think he's an NBA player. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think he's probably a third-string NBA player. Yeah. I think he's a third-string center. I think it's hard to be a third-string center if you want to play if Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors are on the roster because right. they are way better than you. And they don't get in foul trouble. Like, How many times was Ricky or was uh, Rudy Gobert in foul trouble this year? Yeah, not, not very often. And then and Favors never Favors. is either. Yeah, so it's, it's really if those guys get hurt. Yeah, and so... You didn't see it this year. You didn't see long stretches of it this year. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he decided he wanted to go somewhere else. And, in fact, he said in his press conference that he was a little bit disappointed with the number of opportunities he got. Yeah. He, he Maybe not disappointed, but he expected more opportunities yeah. when he signed here with the Jazz. And, you know, maybe that's maybe that was a little bit silly of him to say, okay, it was a, you know, it's a $2 million a year deal. Like you said, you're signing up to be a third center. You know how good Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors are. But and it may have not been a criticism of the Jazz so much as the opportunity that ended up presenting itself, where yeah. he thought he would get that opportunity, and it just never materialized. Right, and and maybe it was a, hey, uh, he, he thought Derek Favors would move on at some point or get, you know, and, and regardless, it, it did, I don't think it didn't material. you know, I think he had a chance to show what he can do. I think... We all, I mean, do you have any questions about what Epe Udo can do at the NBA level at this nope. point? I know exactly, I know what, exactly he what he is. Also, yeah. though, he's the second consecutive center in consecutive seasons who complained about his role with the Jazz. Because Jonas Drebko did as well. Well, Drebko's not a center. Well, he played backup five minutes for the Jazz occasionally when the Jazz needed an extra shooter. Okay. Regardless, an extra big man, say the third big or fourth okay. big for the Jazz that wanted some more minutes. Okay. But you know what? You have Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley, at some point, you kind of either have to play him. Or move on from him? I'm guessing the Jazz are a little bit closer to playing him. Oh, I, I think they're probably closer to moving on. Oh, you think so? I, I like I, I'm. He's not close. Okay. I, I mean, maybe maybe he'll show in in summer league that he is close. I've third seen, consecutive summer league's a bad sign. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> seen Tony look. Bradley play enough at at the Stars level. I saw I you know I've seen hmm. him play. Uh, that he's he's not a good enough G League player in my mind to think that he would be a contributor at the NBA level. There's also I think he does some nice things. I think he's problematic on the defensive end and and isn't good enough offensively. There's no lack of third string big men in, That's in the world. That's your thing, right? Yeah. Like you can sign a you can sign a third string big man no matter. In fact, you can find a really good backup center. I mean, yeah. like. Greg Monroe is not anything special, and in fact, like when when he started in one of the in the first round series, like that was a problem. I but thought Jeff Whitley was good for the Jazz, right? Like, I don't know if he's in the NBA anymore. He's not, but he was he's good overseas. Yeah. yeah, he was fine. Like, you can just kind of you can find these guys, and, and the truth of the matter is that there are so many. The, the game has shrunk where there used to need two. You used to need two big men, and now you only need one. Yeah. And so there are a gazillion big men floating out out around there that uh, 
you can get for relatively cheaply. So I, I don't think that the Jazz are very comfortable with running Epe Udo and Tony Bradley as their second and third centers. I don't think uh, Tony. I, I would suspect that the Jazz are. They may keep him as their fifteenth man again next year and just see what happens. But I don't think they're they're penciling him into a rotation role by any means. Yeah. And if you do, then I don't think you're good enough. I um, I, I don't think Udo's back. I don't think Cephalosh is back. Right now, if I, I had to bet, I don't think Kyle Korver's back. I kind of think Kyle Korver's going to retire. Okay. And I kind of got that sense from the Players' Tribune piece, from talking about Donovan Mitchell. And maybe he wants to stick around in some form. Maybe he likes Utah a lot. Maybe his family wants to be here and he wants to do what Howell Neto does, or Howell, uh, Raul Lopez, excuse <laughs> me, same person, what Raul Lopez does for the Jazz right now. And he's just kind of around and helps out a little bit and flirts with coaching and makes a little bit of money. He's going to get $4 bucks a season regardless from the Jazz. So maybe he sticks around. But my gut feeling is that either the Jazz don't bring him back or he leaves. But I, I would guess if he was taking that $4 million, the Jazz would just bump up that extra three and bring him back. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious. I, I think those are kind of moves that you would do if you were thinking about re- retiring, whether or not you actually did, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, if you weren't sure if this would, were your last year, maybe you say, okay, this is – when I do the players to be in peace, because I, I don't know what yeah, I'm going to exactly. be doing next year. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. So I, I think there's I, I don't think Epe and, and Tabler are coming back next year. Um, and you know if if those if particularly Epe if he's willing to come back at one and a half two million dollars, then that's fine. No problem. Um, but I, I I think you can just maybe get something more and maybe add another skill set with your your backup Absolutely. center. You know there are yeah. there are backup centers who can shoot. Maybe you can get one of those and, and yep. give teams a little bit of a different look. Um, there are just enough of these guys that I, I think you can get like a decent enough backup center if you do move on from Derek Favors. That it that's not like. That is certainly something you have to worry about. Absolutely, I, I don't think it has to be your primary concern because uh, you know I, I, I've. I, it's, I, I just think that's more important what you do with the the other minutes in the starting lineup and in the rotation. Yep. you can you can build a rotation that doesn't have a backup center in it. No question. Yeah, a lot of teams do. Certainly not a seven footer that blocks shots like right. Ekbayuda. <laughs> uh, Royals and Jazz asks on Twitter. This is an interesting question. Here's my rando NBA thought of the night. Why do teammates touch hands after a free this throw? Has to be a joke, right? There's what's a, be what's a high story. five? They high five. They low five. They low five. They mid five. Because they're happy for each other. But, but but they even when they miss, high fives. Part of routine. What does that mean? Yeah, it's just a routine. I mean, the free throw is the most routine. It's the most common routine we see because every player has one, and the NBA is the most routine sport of any sport. Hmm. Like, those guys have the strict, maybe next to baseball, those guys have the most stringent uh, routine, right? They get ready the same okay. way. They shoot yeah. around the same way. They get out on the floor the same time. They get to the arena the same time. Baseball, every time baseball, you bat, you, you have the exact. Day too. Yeah, yeah. So, but. Okay, basketball, second to baseball. Okay, I'd agree with that. Um, do you think there is like an origin high five story? Like somebody started high fiving each other and in history, <laughs> somebody high five someone for the first time in, in the basketball. NBA? In, no, in free I think throws. we've all been we, no it's sports. That's how it works. Uh, here's a question: Jazz fan twenty on Twitter. If the Jazz miss out on top targets like Chris Middleton, Kemba Walker, and Tobias Harris, who are some of the other guys they could target this offseason via trade or free agency that would improve the roster? Yeah, um, I wrote about this in the Salt Lake Tribune this weekend, uh, so check that out if you haven't. Just kind of some of these names that are that are out there, and sure, yeah, you, you mentioned kind of the top three. Um, Malcolm Brogdon was brought up, obviously, that's, that's a possibility as well. Um, but I, I think there are some smaller pieces out there that I like as well. You know, obviously, Patrick Beverly is one that Jazz fans have been Talking about a lot, and understandably so, given his defensive uh, abilities that he showed off in the first round, and, and his he can also shoot the ball a little bit. Yep. Um, 
It's kind of a, a seeming seemingly nice role player fit. Uh, Seth Curry is out there as a as a free agent this offseason. He's been a nice little piece for uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Al Farouk Aminu, you can say the same thing, didn't have a great game last night, but nevertheless uh, is actually a really good player, can yep. defend and shoot a little bit from, from the four spot. Um, let's see, Danny Green in Toronto. He's a guy that, depending on the direction of Toronto's franchise next year, they may or may not want to keep. Has relationships with Dennis Lindsay. Has relationships with Dennis Has Lindsay. Has history with the Jazz being interested. Yep. Um, backup center time. If you want to look at Dwayne Dedman, he's uh, he, he's a guy uh, played for the Atlanta Hawks this year. I, I like him because uh, his ability to roll and finish a little bit is, is nice. Plus, he can uh, is is a decent enough rim protector. You know, he's certainly not Derek Favors, but gets you you know some X percentage of that. You know, so I think there are a lot of like role player pieces. Did you that mention are... uh, Boyan Bogdanovich? I did not. Sorry, that's a good one. Sorry, he's he's definitely um, he's the best player. Out of the ones I've named. Of that group. But, no, he only makes, makes $3.5 million this year. He's going to get 20 this offseason. Yeah. Yeah. At least. And rightfully so, because he was Indiana's leading scorer for the last two and a half months of the season and, and, again, took on some of those playmaking roles that teams will want. You know, so a team like the Utah Jazz, quite frankly, that will may miss out on some of the top-tier free agents, may look at Bogey as like as someone who can who can kind of give them some of the stuff they want. That means, sure, you've got to play Donovan Mitchell at the point. I think that's okay. I don't, yeah, I don't um, think that's a bad thing. And, you know, then you've got you've got actually kind of a nifty little starting lineup there um, where you've got three guys who can shoot and uh, can create and for each other and, and do some nice things. I think Quinn would, would appreciate that. And you can stagger minutes where Donovan Mitchell plays 20-point guard minutes or right. 18 point guard minutes and 12 shooting guard minutes and you can still work that out where technically he's your starting point guard and he's not being asked to do it but truthfully late in the game I want the ball in his hands anyways yeah. so I want those last 7 minutes to be Donovan Mitchell playing point guard which means you might only be playing 11 minutes throughout the rest of the game with him actually at the point guard so Bogey is your first not your first but one of the guys who subs out early Donovan moves to the 2 and then your backup point guard comes in yep. and I, versatility versatility is anything but a bad thing right now in the NBA a uh, couple of other names. Trevor Ariza um, yep. signed his one-year $15 million deal with the Phoenix Suns. Got moved to Washington. He's now a free agent. Um, could be another guy that, that kind of fits that that role. Uh, not the Bogdanovic role, but kind of that, that yeah. 3-and-D spacer guy. Uh, Paul Millsap, Denver, has a has a team option for next year, but it may be too expensive for them to well, pick like up. $30 million. Um, and, and so if they... Exactly. Way so if they want to keep it... Yeah. Or they... What I kind of suspect happens there is that they turn it down and they come up with some other long-term agreement there to hmm. keep him in Denver. Um, that's kind of what I've heard is is most likely. But hmm. if you know maybe if he turns it down and then you he starts talking to other teams, Jazz might be a possibility. I actually like I think he's a good conceptual fit. I think Paul Millsap of three years ago is the better Much conceptual better. fit, yeah. and like he's he's clearly slipped year after year. You're after probably year giving him that, two years, tough. and I don't think you're giving him two years forty. No, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you're you're not a Joe Johnson deal, but you know, honestly, something kind of similar. Where probably you, don't need to go crazy beyond that, right? Um, trying to think, is there anybody else who I I mentioned in this article who, uh, obviously, Nico Miritich we've talked about. Uh, oh, Terrence Ross is another guy. It shot pretty well in Orlando this year. Took on a bigger role. Um, was a big part of their of their team and their uh, bench, especially making the playoffs. Um, he did he did some nice things. Darren Collison, Indiana point guard, can yep. shoot, uh, does not shoot actually often, which is weird, but uh, maybe there's a way you can turn him into a bigger offensive threat. I'm kind of skeptical given that Indiana didn't, but hey. 
So there's a lot of names. There are a lot of names. Yeah. Is that is that enough names for you? Take that. <laughs> Jazz fan 20. Uh, do you want to take a break? And we yeah, can, let's, uh... let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got, what, three, four more questions left? Yep. Uh, including one from our friend Steve Bartle. We'll talk about that next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson with Ben Anderson. Just giving you an update. Since we brought up the game last, the Milwaukee Bucks have gone on a huge Whoa. run. Uh, now we'll lead 23. <laughs> I believe it's a 23-2 to two run by the Boston Celtics was the last number I saw. Uh, it's been a case of Giannis Antetokounmpo going off. He's hit two three-point shots. Now has 28 points on 15 shots. That's uh, pretty good. Uh, and then the Celtics role players really struggling. I mean, we, we brought up Kyrie Irving struggles, uh, still just has nine points. But then you look at Gordon Hayward, uh, one for four shooting, only five points is a minus 25 in the game. Huh. Uh, weird. <laughs> no, he was good. He's been good the, the last month and a half or so. You've got, uh, Terry Rozier, one for six. Uh, you've got Jalen Brown, four for 10. Future jazz man, Terry Rozier. Yeesh. <laughs> Uh, I'm told that Jazz actually do like Terry Rozier, and uh, I'm surprised not me. a fan. No one surprised me. DeLon Wright's a good player, too. Former Jazz. DeLon Wright, or good. former Ute. Oh, I'm, I'm fine with DeLon Wright. Their stats are almost identical. Okay. Yeah. Got, but DeLon I think the Wright difference this, is like... Actually, both of them, once they got starting roles, which, believe it or not, you get more time and more opportunity, you look better. Yeah. They both actually look pretty good when they were starters. I, I do just think, like, expectations and... Uh, Honestly, offensive like selflessness, if you will, go so much in DeLon Wright's favor there, uh, where Terry Rozier doesn't know who he is, right? And I think that's that's a problem for NBA players. George Yang said that in the press conference, actually, on, on Wednesday. I thought that was interesting. He was like, I know who I am. I yeah. know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not. Uh, and then Tony Bradley came on the podium and did not does not know any of those things. He yeah. said, "I need to get stronger." Like, no, yeah. you don't. That's not exalt. You need yeah. to get better. Like, yeah, you need you're, you're you're in skill mode. I need to, skill he, development. He's like, I need to learn. I, I think I can develop my three point shooting. Like, I've seen you shoot threes. You're never going to be a three point shooter. I actually kind of like. I, I, I would be happy for the Jazz with either Terry or Delon Wright. And the truth is, you're not giving those guys eighteen million dollars a year. Right. Like, you're not well, giving those guys sure. a ton of money. That sure. might be the thirteen if, or fourteen. Look, if that's your backup player. point guard, I'm fine. Uh, like you can sign Terry Rozier as your backup. See, and that's... I think it's the opposite. I, I, if you're signing him to be your backup, I hate him. Oh, why? Because I don't think he can come off the bench. I think he's showing that right now. He's okay. much better sure. when he's in a starting spot. Like I don't know if. So it's... you're cool with Terry Rozier as your starting point guard I, at the right price on a risk of not four years and a hundred million dollars. How much? Two years, twenty five. No. Okay. Look, he should not be your starting point guard. Period. I, okay. He's the worst shooter than Ricky Rubio. Okay. So don't. Then you still have the same problems. I'm going to look up Terry Rozier's starting stats. Okay. That's fair. You can keep talking, though. Okay. Yeah. No, look up. Like, I'm sure they were better when he's a starter, and yet uh, I, I think you – like, at some point, he just has to be good as a backup, too. You know? Like, uh, I don't know. Unless he's a starter. <laughs> he's not a starter. I have no idea look, if he's... Isaiah Thomas was a good backup, but he was a Hall of Famer playing as a starter in uh, Detroit. Or you or you get Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Right? And then you, you make him in as a starter, and it turns out that, yep, yeah, geez, Reggie Jackson had flaws that we kind of knew about all Still along. Still not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's your starting splits for Terry Rozier for his career, which can be a little uh, a, a little uh, skewed. Uh, as a starter, he averages 14.5 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, shoots 40% from the floor, 
and 39% from the three-point line. When he comes off the bench, he averages seven points a game, three rebounds, two assists, shoots 37% from the floor, and 34% from the three-point line. So he's up about 5% starting uh, when he's playing with better players, which is something he's only started 30 games. It's a very small sample size. And a bunch of those were in the playoffs when he just went on that crazy tear and was amazing. Yeah, and, like, absolutely had a very good playoffs last year. I think this year's playoffs is kind of showing that, like, Terry Rozier is Terry Rozier is Terry Rozier. Probably. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, it's, it, I, would, I would be wildly underwhelmed by, by such a pick. Okay. And I would There's better the players. Jazz is, yeah, I, I just think there, there are better players. Um, one of them, by the way, was mentioned by our, our friend Giorgio Spanias, asks, is Goran Dragic our next point guard? Very well um, could be. I think that's a that's a he has a player option for next year that he'll pick up. It's nineteen million dollars a year. Um, I don't think Miami will be very excited about paying that, and certainly has significant uh, health issues. Injury right? Concerns. Like he yeah. he only played thirty six games this year, but I do think Dragic is is good. Like he can shoot a little bit, he can get to the rim. Uh, defense is a concern given his age. He's uh, thirty one and a half, I believe. Um, and, and so, like, you're you're not saying that Drogic is great. I don't think you're saying Drogic is anything other than a stopgap. Um, but as far as stopgaps go, I, I don't hate that possibility. Yeah, I think that's a very realistic option for the Jazz. That um, wouldn't surprise me at all. And I would like it more than Terry Rozier. Even though, again, Terry Rozier a lot younger, better defensively. Uh, he's I, not— Again, I just think you need a score. He's not not uh, Patrick Beverly. Like I think Terry Rose saying that he is Patrick Beverly. Do you use a double negative? Yeah, a double negative to say he might be a young Patrick Beverly. Okay, then he needs to take as many shots as Patrick Beverly does. Correct. Right. And yeah, right. You need to dial it back. Yeah. Yep. And and that's fine. Then if you are if you are Patrick Beverly, then that's great. We love Patrick Beverly because Patrick Beverly knows what he is. He knows he's he's a disruptor on the defensive end. He knows that he's going to take and make open shots on the offensive end. He's not going to try to do too much. Delon Wright as a starter. 13, 6, and 6. So pretty similar to what Terry Rozier gives you. Okay. 45% from the floor. So up 5% Much from the floor, 23% from the three-point line. Wow. Much really worse. Bad. 17% worse. Yeah. So I don't think Delon Wright should be your starting point guard next year either. Probably not. He's only started 18 games too. So Look, small sample size. To some extent, like, the Jazz need good offensive players, right? Like, this isn't – I don't think this is, like – this isn't rocket science. Yeah. I, and I agree I, with you. I don't know that Terry Rozier and Delon Wright are good offensive players. Right. Uh. I think Drogic is, or at least Much better. was last year and yeah. has been for parts of this year. Yep. So. Uh, I like Steve Bartle's comment uh, saying Casey Akpala is the answer to all of Utah's problems. He's the, not. The kid from Stanford. But he, he, you tell me about him because I, I haven't watched much of him. Okay, he's 6'9", he's 2'15". He had a breakout end of his sophomore season. He's actually pretty good his whole career at Stanford. He averaged 14 points as a freshman, which is a great number. He shot 42% from the floor, but just 22% from the three-point line, which is a little scary for a guy who has to be able to offer something if he can't just isolate the whole time. And you watch him at Stanford a lot, and he isolates the whole time. Jazz aren't going to give him the keys to the franchise and say, well, go ISO, because that's not what the NBA is. Nobody plays like that unless you're James Harden in the playoffs. Uh, So then his sophomore season at Stanford... He averaged, uh, let me pull up his averages here. He averaged 17 points a game, six rebounds, still just two assists, but he did shoot 42%, or only 39, sorry, 46% from the floor. And then he shot a much better 37% from the three point line. So he's got to show he has NBA shooting because if he can't do that, I worry that his strength and his handle and a lot of his isolation stuff that he does won't translate to the NBA. And if that's the case, he's got a great body and can't do anything for you. 
Yeah. And that's what I worry about. He's got to get a lot stronger. He's got to tighten up that handle. But he also probably needs to be a 37% three-point shooter at the next level. And if he is, he's great. But if he can show that 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 isolation that he does a little bit is for real, maybe he's Kyle Kuzma. And Kyle Kuzma's a fantastic player. And the Jazz could use a Kyle Kuzma because you could use some offense and you could use a guy who could help you in that sense. And, and Casey Akpala has some of that. He's also tall, long, 6'9", 7'2", wingspan, like yep. you said. Uh, He's got so, an NBA you know, body. There's no question about it. So that's that's a good thing as well. Currently, the Ringer mock draft, which is currently my favorite mock draft, okay. just kind of in terms of uh, how much detail they give on some of these guys. Sam Vesany at The Athletic doing a really good job, too, uh, has him at 27, so certainly yep. within the Jazz's range. Remember, the Jazz are picking at 23. I, I don't think that ESPN you should has count 26, on— has 26, by the way. Okay. I, I don't think that you can count on you know your 23rd pick in the draft being a contributor. Certainly, look nope. at Grayson Allen being a good example of that. Um, but I, you know, obviously, as as far as a piece that makes sense to add to the Jazz, I don't think he he solves all of their problems like Steve Bartle, our friend, says. Yep. But uh, it certainly is uh, could be a, a good piece. And and we'll have more coming up on the NBA draft as draft workouts start. And quite frankly, I start to watch more college basketball. Do we have a hard out here? Sorry to use a radio lingo here. <laughs> no, I'm good. You're not good. Go we can talk we forever. <laughs> uh, I like the radio lingo. We should just talk always. Yeah, we should always let that in uh, to our, our audience. Let them know the behind-the-scenes stuff. By the way, a guy I'd keep an eye on, a name I'd keep an eye on with the Jazz is a name we have talked about on the show before from Washington is Matisse Thibel. Yeah. He just, he's long. He's a defender. Now, he was playing in a zone. My right. understanding is he's been seen. And the belief is that he can play NBA defense as well. It's not just that he was playing in this crazy zone defense that Washington was running. He has as good a defensive stats as you've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I think he led college basketball in blocks and steal percentage. If he, I, if I'm right. Yeah, and then he passed uh, Gary Payton for the all-time steals in Pac-12 history. And Gary Payton was is one of the best defensive players we've ever seen in the NBA. He's pretty freakish, and at times he shot forty percent from the floor while he was at, or from the three-point line while he was at uh, Washington. That dropped significantly this year, but that's a guy who might come in and be. Tabo Cephalosha or that type of player, and then you say we're going to work with him to develop his offense. Yeah, I, I love that. And and again, I don't look at the using the draft to solve this year's problem. Nope. So I think you get best player available, and uh, you know obviously defense is part of that. I don't think you have to say I need offense from my guy this year because it it just you know again I don't count on him to solve this year's problems. That's a seven year, eight year pick that you're making. Also, some guys have kept their names year. in the draft, which is good. Tyler Hero from Kentucky, it's like six seven. He's a shooter. Might be Kevin Herter. Now, the problem is Kevin Herter from last year's draft might be the eighth pick this year. You right. know, if you have some good workouts, Casey Akpala can end up in the top ten. And heck, you can make the case Kevin Herter should have been the eighth pick last yeah, probably. year. You know, um, that's just kind of what we we misunderstood about the draft and some of those picks between, I don't know, nine and 16 or so. Um, but anyway, we, gotta, we do have to take a break at some point here. No hard out, uh, but a break. No hard out. We do have to take a break. So we'll talk, about, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the draft. And then we've got a good question about Colton from Colton asking what percentage of the chances uh, Kevin Durant goes to the New York Knicks, whether or not Kyrie Irving joins him, and how that might affect the Utah Jazz as well. That's next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Back here at the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700, I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Ben Anderson, host of Gunther and Ben, every weekday afternoon here from 2 to 6 on ESPN 700, joins me as always. This is our last segment of the show today because we do carry Warriors Rockets coming up at 8.30. Just better than what um, we do. Which is so better than what we do. 
featuring Scott Foster, Tony Brothers, uh, and Ed Malloy on tonight's Ref Crew. Also, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and some other players that you may have heard of uh, in, in the basketball game. But I'm actually looking forward to that. We'll probably talk about that in the Absolutely. last few minutes of, of, today, of this segment. Um, but we do want to talk a little bit more about the Utah Jazz. Before we do... Current score of the Bucks Celtics game, it's 109-81, seven minutes left. That one is done and dusted. Um, Kyrie Irving now nine points, four of 18 shooting. I think that's a good lesson of, of how even you know the great players who have had a lot of playoff success can struggle in the playoffs too. Uh, it's funny. Oh, man, this is a totally different list. So I sent out a tweet that was, you know, everyone was ripping on Donovan Mitchell for going three of, what was it, was three of 20 or four of 22 or whatever his last game was, yeah. which was awful. It was really bad. It was bad. Uh, I just looked up players who have shot below 35% in the playoffs this year. Games that we've had. What, what, what would you think? Guys who took at least 10 field goal attempts and shot below 35%. Okay. Like how many in the playoffs? It's basically one and a half rounds in. How many instances of that do you think there would be? Just kind of off the top of your head. Probably 10, 15. There have been 65. Wow. Already in the playoffs. You're just not efficient scoring the ball in the playoffs. Yeah. No, nobody That's is. A good point. And, and sometimes you have a Kawhi night, and Kawhi was brilliant and has been brilliant so far, but the names on this list are insane. I mean, just looking at Lou Williams, Russell Westbrook, Nikola Vucevic, who was an all-star this year, Clay Thompson, I mean, you know, Ish Smith isn't great, D'Angelo Russell, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, J.J. Redick, I mean, good shooters. Yeah. Nikola Jokic, Tobias Harris, James Harden, Joe Harris, who was the best shooter this year in the NBA, Aaron Gordon. Paul George, Danilo Gallinari. Gallo had the three so far. That's too many. Uh, there's there's a lot. Jimmy Butler has two of those such games already. Right. Like, and Jimmy Butler was fantastic and yeah. won them last night's game. You know, James Butler, like we talked yeah, about right. at the beginning of the show. If you're concerned about Donovan Mitchell's inconsistency, understand. And it, it was an issue to start the season. It's been an issue at times. He had one of his worst games of the season, game five against the Rockets. But that's playoff basketball. That's not Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and that's, that's just kind of the way it is. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I just don't think it's, it's fair. I, I think it's fair to ask Donovan to get better. I think Donovan will use those performances as motivation for coming into the off season. And yet I, I don't think it's fair to attack him as somehow, uh, worse than anybody else or, you know, I, that he can't be better, that he can't kind of be the superstar right. that the Jazz want him to be, uh, because we have seen him be that guy at times. And, you know, again, he's in his second year. Yeah, he needs to be better, and he's 22 years old. Right. So Great. I bet he gets there. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it happens. It's probably going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's – I'm curious. What, what do you expect from this Warriors-Rockets game tonight? Does the Scott Foster thing – is it real? So the Rockets have lost their last five – uh, playoff games with Scott Foster officiating. Some of those were blowouts. Some of them were close games. Uh, game two of the the Jazz Rocket series last year was officiated by Scott Foster. I didn't think there was any. I, I didn't think that the Rockets were being favored in in that game. But you know, I right. believe referees watch games and say, "I don't like the way that's being played." And not, I'm going to put my print on it. But I think what James Harden is doing is a foul. So I'm going to call it as a foul when I see it. And I don't think every referee feels that way. Right. The same way Jazz fans hate Ed Malloy. And maybe Ed Malloy just doesn't like the way the Jazz play physical defense. Go, Ed Malloy! Or whatever it is. You know, I do think referees can have preferences on what guys look like, and sometimes that can impact specific teams more than others. Now, the the stats are, I, I believe it's James Harden has four uh, foul outs in playoff history. Uh, Scott Foster has, has, was officiating three of those. Yeah. Uh, 
The Warriors don't like him either, by the way, for what it's worth. The Warriors, yeah. uh, uh, apparently their win rate is about 50% yeah. in, in the playoffs oh. rather than the 80% that it normally is with Scott and Foster. And home teams should hate him because road teams almost always win in the playoffs when Scott Foster's officiating. Right. So probably cancels itself out tonight. I think the Rockets are going to win tonight. Okay. I think they come back and win. I uh, that I, I mean, I, I'm curious to see how, how it's played. I, I think... Uh, one or two of those shooting fouls that was was so contentious will probably be called yep. because I think the NBA probably looked at it and said, "Hey, Clay Thompson in particular is committing these fouls," yeah. and so watch Clay Thompson running into the legs. Um, I did not think that Draymond was a foul. I, I think no, it we, was not. Yeah. I, I actually think we may have uh, rather than just one referee watching these plays. I think we may have kind of both referees from both sides watching bla- these plays to see if it's a foul or a non-foul. Um, and kind of whether or not it's an offensive foul, because if you if you're James Harden and you kick your legs out into the player, that's an offensive foul, right? The Warriors didn't shoot great in the game, but they shot fifty percent from the floor, which is good, and then thirty two percent from the three point line in game one, which isn't great. Uh, but the Rockets were forty one percent from the floor, so nine percentage points less, and then only thirty percent from the three point line, right. or actually twenty nine percent. So I, I bet you the role players shoot better from the three point line. I mean, James Harden was 4 of 16. He's not going to shoot 25%, but Eric Gordon was 4 of 13. P.J. Tucker was 0 of 3. I think you get better production from those guys. I think the bench comes in, shoots a little bit better, and I think that's the difference in this game. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we shall see. That's coming up here in 20 minutes on ESPN 700. Do we want to talk more jazz offseason? Uh, Giorgio Spinia says, Julius yeah. Randle or Thad Young? To Ooh. play next to Rudy, or do you prefer a stretch four like Miritich? Prefer I, a stretch four. Yeah, I do prefer a stretch four. I, I, uh, to be honest, I think Julius Randle is maybe not at his best at the five, but I think he makes sense as kind of a, a bench five, if you will. Almost Probably like, abuses uh, fives more regularly than he does other power forwards. And he's not quite a good enough mover to make him make sense as a four. You know, I think he can shoot relatively well. Um, I think he's actually a really good playmaker. He just, you know... Like, some guys like like Draymond Green can move in space well enough that he can play the four and just kill it. I don't think Julius Julius Randle is that guy. Probably not there. Yet. Um, I, I don't hate Julius Randle. I actually no. really like Julius Randle. I think he has potential to be a really good player, and I think I could see him fitting with the Jazz. My suspicion is he wouldn't be the top choice, and he probably is too expensive for the Jazz. That's probably true as well. He's going to get a lot of money. First of all, he's really young. Everyone who misses out on Tobias Harris. Okay. <laughs> Somebody's going to say, we didn't get Tobias? Our backup option as a four, and you know what? We're happy to play him at our five as well, is this guy. And he needs some money because he hasn't made that much yet. He was a lottery pick and then signed the one-year deal. It's technically a two-year but has a player option, opts out, and then goes and signs somewhere else. Yeah. I I actually don't hate that. I'm thinking about it, you know, because, again, you do need that backup five if Derek Favors leaves. And Mm so, um, you know, I I like him actually as a fit more than Derek Favors, but I I, I still kind of think that you can do better. And like you say, he's going to be expensive. Thaddeus Young, honestly, I kind of feel the same way. It's just kind of an older version. Um, certainly, again, had a good season in Indiana this year. Uh, again, is uh, has added three-point shooting to his game in kind of an, an awkward sort of way. He shot 35% from three this year, only two attempts a game. Does some other stuff for you, moves the ball. Um, I like Thaddeus Young. It's just like kind of older, and again, I don't know that he's again a better conceptual fit than Derek Favors. There's like is. five guys I want more than Thaddeus Young, and probably Derek Favors is definitely one of them okay. because I think Derek yeah. Favors helps you win, and I think Thaddeus Young can help you win. But yeah, I'd rather have Julius Randle or Al Farouk Aminu or go and, out and get some of those players and Derek Favors. Yeah, and Derek Favors. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I, but I do think that you want to stretch war, and, and honestly, it's someone. 
you it's it's weird because we we talk about like stretch fours and think like Nico Miritich or or Jonas Jarebko or blah blah blah. You know, I, I honestly think you can just sign a a three and put him at the four, and Probably. then all of a sudden he's your stretch four. You know, I think like how much does Joe Ingles turn into a four over the next year or two? I mean, we that's I, a really good question. I thought him. I thought he really struggled athletically in the Houston Rockets series. I mean, I think he was just really. I think he had a very difficult time. A, getting any penetration against the Rockets' defense because he never got any penetration. And then B, one of the reasons he shot so poorly is because he didn't have as much space as he's comfortable with because he's not athletic enough to develop that type of space. And he's actually shown some really nice dribble moves and some dribble sequences to get himself open looks. He broke a lot of ankles this year. But he probably breaks more at the four and gets himself more space at the four if he gets a little older and continues to get a little stronger and heavier and can play that as opposed to playing the three full-time. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. And and honestly, there aren't like a lot of matchups that... He's he doesn't fight that much in the post, which might be one reason why I don't think that that works against a lot of teams. But uh, you know, I think Joe Ingles is a matchup problem for for fours to guard around the league because yep. of what you said. He is actually pretty crafty about getting guys. Uh, you know that that first step move and then step back. He's that step back's actually become quite a weapon. Yeah, very good. Uh, and, and then I think he can get that step on on bigger fours and, and maybe get around them. Now, maybe his, his advantage driving to the rim is his size, and maybe you don't have that as a four, so maybe that's a question. But I don't think it's crazy to, to play him at the four. Neither do I think it's crazy to play Royce O'Neal at the yeah. four, which is something that the Jazz did this season and had some success with. I'm thinking especially in the San Antonio game yeah. uh, in the regular season. I thought they, they he played really well at the four spot. But to me, it, it's... It, we we talk so much about positions, and I get it because that's kind of how we think about basketball. That's how we we can make sense of the world in which we live in. Mm-hmm. But like, it really just comes down to you. You want players with characteristics, right? Like, you just want players who can, you know, for right now the Jazz need players who can shoot and score. And if that's Tobias Harris or if that's yeah. Mike Conley, you know, I it it almost you know it it matters, but it doesn't matter a ton. Uh, you know, likewise with with kind of the the four spot. The question is. Not you need someone of a certain height or you need someone of a certain build. It's whether or not he can rebound. And, you know, yeah. I, I think there's a question. Like, Jay Crowder is a terrible rebounder, and, and that's yep. something that the Jazz probably need to uh, get better at. And, and so you, you just kind of look at, rather than body profiles, I think the the strengths and weaknesses of what they do on the floor uh, is, is a better way to, to, to start breaking this stuff down. You're talking a little money ball. Which yeah. is, yeah, we don't need to replace, who was it, Jason Giambi or whatever it was that they were trying to replace. It was, we need this many on base. We, you right. know, we need that. And that's very true. Yeah, you don't have to have a two-guard be Jeff Hornacek because he's the best shooter in the NBA. No, you need to have that many shooters on the floor at one time, whatever position, which is why Dennis Lindsay said we need a sniper at any position. Right. And, and so, yeah, does that come at the four or does that come at the one? Ideally, it comes to both, yeah. but, you know, maybe that's uh, unlikely given the resources that you have to acquire those players. But so. you can't have neither. And that's the problem. Right now, the guys have neither. Right, exactly. That's 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 a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and and I think in order to get maybe in order to get that guy or in order to get those players at either the one or the four, whatever that looks like. Um, or again, you you bring up the idea of bring of signing someone like Bogdanovic, who who makes a lot of sense, adds shooting at the two and the three spot. Um, shooting and scoring, but then you know you have some other questions to answer, and then you're like, okay, so how do I get uh, backup center play. How do I get finishing and and some rim protection and some rebounding at at five? Well, maybe you get it through one or two different guys. You know, I I think there's there's something to be said for looking at the game that way rather than okay, look, we need the you know the Jazz need a point guard, the Jazz need a power forward, Jazz just need more talent. Yep. 
That's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> the nice thing is you're not— Is you that know, a good thing? You don't have this narrow path to right. get better. That's true. The that's Jazz do—and the Jazz are already good. Again, it's Quinn Snyder's analogy or Dennis Lindsay's analogy that shaving strokes off your handicap gets harder the better you get. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to become you know a pro golfer or a scratch golfer. It is. It's not hard to go from a 20 handicap to 15. But the nice thing is the Jazz are pretty wide open on where they can get help. They could use another shooting guard because you can move Donovan to the point guard. If you need a point guard, get a point guard and keep Donovan at the two. If you get a three, you can move Joe Ingles to the four potentially. I mean, there's there's just a lot of ways the Jazz can get better. Yeah. And that's a, that's not a bad thing because right. the what the Jazz do, they do really well, and that's playing defense. Completely agreed. What would Do you have a preferred option for the Jazz's offseason? Scoring point guard. I, I think that would be the best, even better than a Tobias Harris or whatever. I mean, I think if you can get a guy who – a adds shooting, B adds scoring, and C adds you know a reliable ball handler. That's more of the fix all than what the Jazz are going to get elsewhere. Then Tobias Harris would be. I think you still have some major issues with Tobias Harris, and I like playmakers with the ball in their hands late in the game. And I don't know if I'm giving the ball to Tobias Harris five straight possessions at the three point line and saying go to work. The way I trust that more with a yeah. point guard, and you have Donovan Mitchell who can do it as well. So in my sense, that's probably the better bet. And those guys seem to be more valuable late in games, but. You probably have to take what you can get if you're the Jazz. You? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, that's the thing is, like, if you can get Kemba Walker, great. Yeah. Um, you should do that. You know, I, I don't think that it takes um, a, a, you know, again, a rocket scientist to, to figure that out. I, I What I struggle then with is is what your your B option is, and then I think it is probably a Tobias Harris. Yep. And sign him for— Which is a great B option. A lot of money. And, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a B option. And by, by multiple accounts, you know, I think Tobias Harris— has shown interest in, in joining the Jazz. Maybe not has said, hey, this is my number one option, not said, hey, I'm going to leave Philadelphia, but has said, you know, maybe this is this is something that could work with me next year. I think, heck, you look at the last Jazz Clippers game and, and those guys talking after the game with Donovan Mitchell going to Tobias Harris, yeah. getting in his ear a little bit. I think that's that's real. Yep. Um, if that doesn't work out, then you've, you've kind of got a, a bunch of different possible options that – uh, you, you, it really depends on who's willing to sign. Um, I don't hate the like go out and sign four different role players option. Yeah. Um, which sounds crazy, but if like you can sign Patrick Beverly and Seth Curry and Danny Green, yep. Um, you're a lot better actually. Like I think that Absolutely. you're you're you have playoff role players that can that can make a difference, can make a shot, and you know that that can kind of get you multiple steps closer. The Jazz got limited at a point in the playoffs where they couldn't play all the guys on their roster. Right. You, you can't play Howell Neto in the playoffs. He's just right. not big enough. He really struggled when he was out there. He's really good during the regular season, which is what your third point guard's got to be. There's not a lot of third point guards that are playing in the playoffs period right now. You know, you don't see those right. guys. But the Jazz were in a spot because of Dante Exum's injuries that – they had to play Howell Neto, and it just didn't work out, and so you just couldn't play him. But then even guys like Tabo Cephalosha, right? Like we're, who Absolutely. We've seen have playoff success. Clearly, I think the game is n- not passed him by, but you know, Tabo's gotten older and, and worse and had knee surgery last year, and that, that happens. The Jazz were having to play George Niang. Now, actually, I thought George played really well yeah. when he got it in the postseason, and maybe that's a guy you can rely on and takes a bigger role and maybe play some of those power forward minutes next year or however you want to use him. But, yeah, getting guys who you can trust to play in the playoffs is a big thing. And, you know, maybe Seth Curry is one of those guys. You know Patrick Beverly is one of those guys. You know he can play 25 minutes a game if you need to. And those guys have a ton of value. Joe Johnson was a guy you trusted to play 25 minutes in a playoff game, even if the most he ever logged in the regular season was 14. Honestly, even Royce O'Neal is. Yeah. Like, uh, right. 
maybe better in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. But giving um, those guys more minutes or finding guys that can come in and take those minutes are, are really good. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I think we I, I'm conflating also like playing in the reg and playing in the playoffs with playing the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like that team has very specific strengths and weaknesses. And, and Dennis kind of talked about how you want to be you're a little bit wary of preparing to beat one team when you know the odds are certainly below 50% that the Jazz face the Rockets in the playoffs next year, you know? Yeah. But you you do have to be you have to be good and then you have to be good against your your given matchup as well. Uh and that's, that's something that I think the Jazz were were more good than good against their matchup but still even just like on a talent level clearly are are below the the elite teams in the Western Conference. What's the which of these series that we still have going on in the NBA playoffs gets wrapped up quickly? Any of them? Ooh. Um I think this one we're watching might Milwaukee's about to beat Boston by 30. 25? Yeah, they're up 25 right now and could easily get that up. Regardless, they're going to win this game big. Yeah. But they lost game one big. They did. They lost game one big. That seems more fluky to me than this, okay. personally. And and they've just destroyed the Celtics this year. I mean, yeah. their matchups, they've just been so lopsided. It seems like a little bit they figured out, okay, Giannis has to play hard, like you said, after game one. Like, I've got to go out and play harder than I did. And you don't have to play hard against Thon Maker and the Detroit Pistons. Is it weird that I still think it might be Toronto, Milwaukee, or Toronto, Philadelphia is most likely to be sh- the short series? That is surprising to me. Um, in which direction? In Toronto's direction. You think Toronto can still win? Okay. In five. Hmm. Like I, I'm, I'm not saying that's likely. Certainly, you'd have to say at this point with yeah. the one-one series that right. it's more likely that you you have at six least get or to seven, six games. But yeah. In terms of the which teams I feel the most differently about, I like Toronto a lot more than Philadelphia, more than I I, I think the gap is bigger between uh, any of the other three playoff series, if that makes sense. Yep. If you had a healthy um, Joel Embiid, which you haven't seen, and he's not healthy. That's the truth. I mean, not just right. his stomach issue, but he's just not healthy in the second half of the season. Ben Simmons doesn't score a whole lot. They got out in transition more in this last game, and that, that certainly helped them. And if Toronto can slow that down, Toronto's better. And even then, like, you know, you're too... Danny Green and wide open threes from changing that game. Right. If either one of those goes down, then right, right you go to overtime. Um, I you know I just think that there's there's something there that okay. I, I think it, you, relying on Jimmy Butler to be James Butler consistently is maybe not the best. And Tobias Harris has actually to kind of struggled. Yeah. Tobias Harris hasn't been great. I wouldn't be surprised if Denver sweeps Portland. Sweeps sweeps wow. them. Yeah, uh, they have absolutely no answer for Jokic. And that's the good news for Denver because Jokic is their best player. So it's not like they're having to rely on Royce O'Neal. Denver doesn't have an answer for Dame, though, either. Correct. I, I think you can fight fire with fire a little bit. Okay. Gary Harris and Jamal Murray trying to catch up to Damian Lillard. There's nothing they can do to fight fire with fire with Nikola Jokic. That's true. I and mean, yeah, Kander was 10 of 14 last night and had 26 points, and you basically can't have him on the floor. Yeah. Even though he scores, you just cannot have him out there. Yeah. So it's tough. And we've seen. Terry Stotts get really badly outcoached in the playoffs, and we've seen them get limited. You know, they lost 10 straight before winning four or four out of five, which was really nice against Oklahoma City. I could see them getting run off the floor. Denver won all four games in that series, too, didn't they? They did. In the regular season. The so. Jazz were the only team to beat the Denver Nuggets in the Northwest Division until Denver tanked and let Portland beat them. Okay. Uh,. <laughs> I still can't believe that happened. So that that the Jazz ended up playing the Houston Rockets and not Denver or Portland yep. is is very very crazy. Yeah, the um, odds you put out was what one in several million for that to actually just happen. Just one in one million. One in one million, but just, bizarre. <laughs> yeah, crazy that it ended up happening. Just just the regular million, but yeah, I mean it's 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 so interesting to think what that what both teams fans of both teams would be thinking if 
the Jazz are playing the Blazers now and, and not the other way around. What's really bizarre to me is you look at the top 10 free agents this offseason that everyone's clamoring after. Other than Kemba Walker, they're all playing. They're all mm-hmm. still actively playing right now. So these series have a, may have a huge determination on where players go. Now, yeah, and whether or not they stay at their place. Right. right? That's where, not where always are. the case. Sometimes I think we overrate what a loss does and don't take in the human aspect of someone saying, well, I don't want to move again. Like, I don't right. want to do all this <laughs> stuff. I know where I am. I like my role. Even if we didn't win the championship this year, I still like who we are or I still like where I am in my life, and I'm plenty happy to do that. I think sometimes we overrate that. But you look at Jimmy Butler's playing. Tobias Harris is playing. Kevin Durant's playing. Clay Thompson is playing. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is playing. I mean, the num- the, the yeah. number of guys that are out there that are still actively playing that are going to determine the entire outlook of the NBA coming up next season is huge. And what, like all the role players we named too? I mean, role role players use, but like Chris Middleton, yeah, right, Nico yeah. Mirotic, right. I mean, Pat Bev just finished. Right. Like all these guys were were playoff role players. Maybe like the I'm, I'm trying to think of like a, a non playoff guy that I've mentioned, but. Uh, like I, I said, Dwayne Dedwin, right? Like Terry Rozier. Uh, yeah, Terry Rozier is playing right now. I mean, even guys like Terrence Ross have been playing in the playoffs. Danny Green I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Bogdan, Bojan Bogdanovic in, in just, for Indiana. Yeah, just you know, just, just wrapped up. You know, like it's all of these guys are playoff play uh, playoff teams, playoff players. Uh, Trevor Ariza, yeah, an- another guy who is is did not make the playoffs yeah. this year, yeah. um, but certainly we've seen him in the playoffs in the past. Alfred Camino, I mean, right. Paul Millsap, but just all of these guys are are playoff guys, and I think it, it, you're right. It, how these series turn out, and honestly, whether or not those players' weaknesses get exploited um, or they kind of show up in the playoffs, will determine whether they're making ten million dollars or twenty million dollars, and kind of how much. Uh, teams are willing to spend and bid and outbid each other for those guys. But after, the, the fact that all those guys are playing is a good sign yeah. because it's indicative that they can help you in the playoffs yes. and they can help Agreed. you win series, and that's why you want to give those guys money. Agreed. I don't know if the Jazz are in the conversation for any of those players, not the top six that I mentioned, but that next grouping of players the Jazz can get, and those guys clearly help you win in the playoffs. Agreed. All right, well, that's another Salt City Hoop show for us. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening. We'll be up on iTunes and Stitcher later on. But for now, Ben Anderson... And Andy Larson signing out of the Salt City Hoop Show right here on ESPN 700.